Welcome to Bandcamp. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Dan. And this is a podcast where we read a band book chapter by chapter aloud and try to figure out why it was banned in the first place. So, Dan, we're starting a new section of the book, section two, The Sieve in the Sand. But before we do, mm-hmm. mind giving us a quick recap on the last episode? The last episode, last section ended on a cliffhanger. So basically, mm. Montague spilled the beans to Mildred, said, Ah, uh, listen, one thing you should probably know is I've been hiding books up in our in our attic in the vent. So anyway, we're both in this together. <laughs> now you're implicated. <laughs> <laughs> so they started reading books, and as they started reading books, knock on the door, here comes old Beatty himself. So what did they do? They ignored him, and he went away, and they kept reading. We'll see. Will he find a friend in Mildred, or will Mildred be Mildred? All right. With that being (laughs) said, here is part two of Fahrenheit 451. They read the long afternoon through, while the cold November rain fell from the sky upon the quiet house. They sat in the hall because the parlor was so empty and gray-looking without its wall lit with orange and yellow confetti and skyrockets and women in gold mesh dresses and men in black velvet pulling 100-pound rabbits from silver hats. We cannot tell the precise... Oh, this is a quote. Okay, quote. We cannot tell the precise moment when friendship is formed. As in filling a vessel drop by drop, there is at least a drop which makes it run over. So in a series of kindnesses, there is at least one which makes the heart run over. Montag sat listening to the rain. Is that what it was in the girl next door? I've tried so hard to figure. She's dead. Let's talk about someone alive, for goodness sake. That's going to be my Mildred voice for now on. She's dead. Let's talk about someone alive, for goodness sake. Montag did not look back at his wife as he went trembling along the hall to the kitchen. Where he stood, <laughs> I shouldn't say it like that, right? <laughs> Clearly, you hate the word tremble. you got to find a, a, a sound effect we can use for whenever he uses tremble. What kind of maniac uses the word tremble all the time? It's like it, it's his crutch. What a ridiculous crutch to use. It's got to be an on-purpose word for sure. What do you even look for for tremble? Let's see. What's this one? Let's try this one here. What are you doing? It's supposed to be a trembling sound effect. That doesn't sound right. How about... I thought you were putting ice in a drink. What's wubile sound? (laughs) Should we do that? (laughs) So whenever Ray Bradbury writes tremble, trembled, trembling, trembles... All of the forms of tremble. Yeah. That is the noise. It'll make me feel a whole lot better about it, about reading it. (laughs) Tell you, the first season when we had that Jaws theme, whenever the N-word happened, that seemed more fulfilling. Now we're just going to have this whenever somebody says tremble. Montag did not look back at his wife as he went trembling along the hall to the kitchen, where he stood a long time watching the rain hit the windows before he came back down the hall in the gray light waiting for the tremble to subside. What do you think of that? Does that work for tremble? Perfect. He opened another book, that favorite subject, myself. 
he squinted at the wall. That favorite subject, myself. I understand that one, said Mildred. (laughs) But Clarice's favorite subject wasn't herself. It was everyone else and me. She was the first person in a good many years I've really liked. She was the first person I can remember who looked straight at me as if I counted. He lifted the two books. These men have been dead a long time, but I know their words point at one way or another to Clarice. Outside the front door in the rain, a faint scratching. Montag froze. Oh, is it the hound? It's a hound or Beatty or Beatty riding the hound. (laughs) Montag froze. He saw Mildred thrust herself back to the wall and gasp. Someone, the door. Why doesn't the door of boys tell us? I shut it off. Under the door sill, a slow probing sniff, an exhalation of electric steam. Mildred laughed. It's only a dog, that's what. You want me to shoo him away? Stay where you are. Silence. The cold rain falling. And the smell of blue electricity blowing under the locked door. It is the hound. Are are all dogs gone and now the only hounds are robot dogs? I think that's the point. They don't have any animals. Well, rabbits, rabbits, kill the rabbits. <laughs> kill the rabbit. 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 Right, right. Like there are no pets and if if there if there happens to be an animal, like kill it right away. So so yeah, I think there are only um mechanical hounds that Do you think is this because it was such a fright for Montague at the firehouse? Is this how Montague is gonna die? Is he gonna be one on one against that hound from hell? Or the Terminator dog? Well find out. Stay where you are. Silence, the cold rain falling, and the smell of blue electricity blowing under the locked door. Let's get back to work, said Montag quietly. Mildred kicked at a book. Books aren't people. You read, and I look all around. But there isn't anybody. He stared at the parlor that was dead and gray as the waters of an ocean that might teem with life if they switched on the electronic sun. Now, said Mildred, my, quote, family is people. They tell me things. I laugh. They laugh. And the colors. Yes, I know. And besides, if Captain Beatty knew about those books, she thought about it. Her face grew amazed and then horrified. He might come and burn the house and the family. That's awful. Think of our investment. Why should I read? What for? What for? Why, said Montag. I saw the damnedest snake in the world the other night. It was dead, but it was alive. It could see, but it couldn't see. You want to see that snake? It's at emergency hospital where they filed a report on all the junk the snake got out of you. Would you like to go and check their file? Maybe you'd look under Guy Montag or maybe under Fear or War. Would you like to go to that house that burnt last night and rake the ashes for the bones of the woman who set fire to her own house? What about Clarice McClellan? Where do we look for her? The morgue? Listen! It's not a very convincing argument to someone who needs to be convinced. The bombers crossed the sky and crossed the sky over the house, gasping, murmuring, whistling like an immense, invisible fan, circling in emptiness. Jesus God, said that's one of my expressions. Jesus God, said Montag. Every hour, so many damn things in the sky. How in the hell did those bombers get up there every single second of our lives? Why doesn't someone want to talk about it? We've started and won two atomic wars since 2022, 
Is it because we're having so much fun at home, we've forgotten the world? Is it because we're so rich and the rest of the world's so poor and we just don't care if they are? I've heard rumors. The world is starving, but we're well fed. Is it true the world works hard and we play? Is that why we're hated so much? I've heard the rumors about hate too, once in a long while over the years. Do you know why? I don't. That's sure. Maybe the books can get us half out of the cave. Oh, that's a reference to Plato. Okay. They just might stop us from making the same damn insane mistakes. I don't hear those idiot bastards in your parlor talking about it. God, Millie, don't you see? An hour a day, two hours, with these books, maybe. The telephone rang. Mildred snatched the phone. And she laughed. Yes, the white clown's on tonight. So mm -hmm. 500 years in the future, Trump is still around. Hey! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and it was the perfect call. <laughs> still talking about it. Montag walked to the kitchen and threw the book down. Montag, he said, you're really stupid. Where do we go from here? Do we turn the books in? Forget about it? Oh, he needs a little encouragement. <laughs> you're really stupid. <laughs> and wait, do we turn the books in? Forget it? He opened the book to read over Mildred's laughter. Oh, so why doesn't he try a little harder? Why can't he be a little more convincing? Like, he needs to really read a book about how to win arguments and... Oh. Uh, well, hopefully one of the books that he stole was how to uh, win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Hopefully he grabbed one of those. Uh, it might come in handy at this point. He opened the book to read over Mildred's laughter. Poor Millie, he thought. Poor Montag. It's mud to you, too. But where do you get help? Where do you find a teacher this late? Hold on. He shut his eyes. Yes, of course. Again, he found himself thinking of the Green Park a year ago. The thought had been with him many times recently, but now he remembered how it was that day in the city park when he had seen that old man in the black suit hide something quickly in his coat. The old man leapt up as if to run, and Montag said, Wait, I haven't done anything, cried the old man, trembling. <laughs> no one said you did. They had sat in the green soft light without saying a word for a moment, and then Montag talked about the weather. And then the old man responded with a pale voice. It was a strange, quiet meeting. The old man admitted to being a retired English professor who had been thrown out upon the world 40 years ago when the last liberal arts college shut for lack of students and patronage. His name was Faber, and when he finally lost his fear of Montag, he talked in a cadenced voice, looking at the sky and the trees and the green park, and when an hour had passed, he said something to Montag, and Montag sensed it was a rhymeless poem. Then the old man grew even more courageous and said something else, and that was a poem, too. Faber held his hand over his left coat pocket and spoke these words gently, and Montag knew if he reached out, he might pull a book of poetry from the man's coat. But he did not reach out. His hand stayed on his knees, numbed and useless. I don't talk things, sir, said Faber. I talk the meaning of things. I sit here and know I'm alive. Interesting. What do you think of this Faber character? He seems like the old version of Clarice. Remember what Beatty said about Clarice in their records that they had on her, which is she's a real odd duck. She wants to know why things happen, not what things happen. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting uh, distinction not talking things, but the meaning of things. I sit here and I know I'm alive. Oh, so 
does Millie not know she's alive? Is she alive? See, like, that's the thing. It's like, what is the point of being alive? That is a question that's always plagued me. Certain people have found, like, they just have it ingrained. Like, a lot of the times when people have a religion they follow or a philosophy they follow, they can find their meaning in life. But I've never, I've, it's always confused me why I'm alive. I've always been very confused about it. Yeah, if you don't have anything, like, some kind of inner thing kind of driving you, I always assume that I'm alive now because I don't have the answer of why I'm alive. Hmm, that's good. And hopefully I will find it. That's a philosophy in itself. I don't have the answer. But I'm looking for it. I'm sure yes. it will be presented to me somehow. I'm sure the universe will say, here's why you are alive. Hi, I'm Dan. And my name's Jennifer, and we're from Bandcamp, a comedy podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. Season six of Bandcamp premieres on June 4th, and we picked a fantastic book for this season. And the name of the book is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Science. It's our first contemporary book. It explores friendship and sexuality through the experiences of two Mexican-American teenagers living in El Paso in the 80s. If you are new to Bandcamp, each season we read an entire book. In each episode of that season, Jennifer reads the chapter out loud and we comment and try to have fun as we go. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. So please join us as we try and figure out why Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe could have ever been banned. But I bet we're not going to find anything because banning books is stupid. Season 6 premieres on June 4th. See you there. That was all there was to it, really. An hour of monologue, a poem, a comment, and then without either acknowledging the fact that Montag was a fireman, Faber, with a certain trembling, wrote his address on a slip of paper. For your file, he said, in case you decide to be angry with me. I'm not angry, Montag said, surprised. Mildred shrieked with laughter in the hall. She's crazy. <laughs> okay, nut. Montag went to his bedroom closet and flipped through his file wallet to the heading, Future Investigations? Question mark. Faber's name was there. He hadn't turned it in, and he hadn't erased it. He dialed the call on a secondary phone. The phone on the far end of the line called Faber's name a dozen times before the professor answered in a faint voice. Montag identified himself and was met with a lengthy silence. Yes, Mr. Montag? Professor Faber, I have a rather odd question to ask. How many copies of the Bible are left in this country? I don't know what you're talking about. I want to know if there are any copies left at all. This is some sort of trap. I can't just talk to anyone on the phone. How many copies of Shakespeare and Plato? None. You know as well as I do. None. Faber hung up. Montag put down the phone. None. A thing he knew, of course, from the firehouse listings. But somehow he had wanted to hear it from Faber himself. In the hall, Mildred's face was suffused with excitement. Well, the ladies are coming over. Montag showed her a book. This is the Old and New Testament and... Don't start that again. It might be the last copy in this part of the world. You've got to hand it back tonight, don't you? Captain Beatty knows you got it, doesn't he? I don't think he knows which book I stole, but how do I choose a substitute? Do I turn in Mr. Jefferson, Mr. Thoreau, 
which is least valuable. If I pick a substitute and Beatty does know which book I stole, he'll guess we have an entire library here. Mildred's mouth twitched. See what you're doing? You'll ruin us. Who's more important, me or that Bible? She was beginning to shriek now, sitting there like a wax doll melting in its own heat. He could hear Beatty's voice. Sit down, Montag. Watch, delicately, like the petals of a flower. Light the first page. Light the second page. Each becomes a black butterfly. Beautiful, huh? Light the third page, from the second, and so on. Chain smoking, chapter by chapter. All the silly things the words mean. All the false promises. All the second-hand notions on time-worn philosophies. There sat Beatty, perspiring gently. The floor littered with swarms of black moths that had died in a single storm. Mildred stopped screaming as quickly as she started. Montag was not listening. There's only one thing to do, he said. Sometime before tonight when I give the book to Beatty. I've got to have a duplicate made. You be here for the white clown tonight and all the ladies coming over, cried Mildred. Montag stopped at the door with his back turned. Millie? A silence. What? Millie? Does the white clown love you? No answer. Millie? Does... He licked his lips. Does your family love you? Love you with all their heart and soul? Millie? He felt her blinking slowly at the back of his neck. Why'd you ask a silly question like that? He felt he wanted to cry, but nothing would happen to his eyes or his mouth. If you see that dog outside, said Mildred, give him a kick for me. God, she hates dogs. She hates anything that's alive. He hesitated, listening at the door. He opened it and stepped out. The rain had stopped and the sun was setting in the clear sky. The street and the lawn and the porch were empty. He let his breath go out in a great sigh. He slammed the door. He was on the subway. I'm numb, he thought. When did all the numbness really begin in my face, in my body? The night I kicked the pill bottle in the dark, like kicking a buried mine. <clears throat> yep, that was the night, huh? Do you remember? Yeah, it's kind of when he started to sense. Again, it was because of Clarice. Mm -hmm. Just all the conversation she had with him just made him like, what if this little kid is right? What if there's more? Well, it did took her a while to wear him down, but it's like he should try a little harder with Mildred. But I guess he only has 24 hours. I don't know. The numbness will go away, he thought. It'll take time, but I'll do it or Faber will do it for me. Someone somewhere will give me back the old face and the old hands the way they were. Even the smile, he thought. The old burnt-in smile. That's gone. I'm lost without it. The subway fled past him. Cream tile. Jet black. Cream tile. Jet black. Numerals and darkness. More darkness and the total adding itself. Once as a child he had sat upon a yellow dune by the sea in the middle of the blue and hot summer day, trying to fill a sieve with sand, because some cruel cousin had said, Fill that sieve and you'll get a dime. And the faster he poured, the faster it sifted through with the hot whispering. His hands were tired, the sand was boiling, the sieve was empty. Seated there in the midst of July without a sound, he felt the tears move down his cheeks. Oh, useless, you know, like useless endeavor. Mm -hmm. Now, as the vacuum underground brushed him through the dead cellars of the town, jolting him, he remembered the terrible logic of that sieve, and he looked down and saw that he was carrying the Bible open. There were people in the suction train, but he held the book in his hands, and the silly thought came to him. If he read fast and read all, maybe some of the sand will stay in the sieve. But he read and the words fell through, and he thought, in a few hours there will be Beatty, and here will be me handing this over. 
so no phrase must escape me. Each line must be memorized. I will myself do it. That is the sieve. His brain? Yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're never going to be able to, to fill your brain with a Bible, which is already a real tough read. Yeah. You're not going to be able to remember it. The brain doesn't work that way, right? Apparently, he doesn't know that. He clenched the book in his fists. Trumpets blared. Denim's dentrifice. Shut up, thought Montag. Consider the lilies of the field. Denim's dentrifice. What is that? Is that the next stop in the station? Denim's dentrifice is a fictional brand of toothpaste mentioned in the story. It is used as a representation of consumerism and the overwhelming influence of advertising and mass media in the dystopian society depicted in the book. It symbolizes the shallow and materialistic nature of this society, where people are more concerned with trivialities like toothpaste brands than engaging in meaningful intellectual pursuits. Robot out. He tore the book open and flicked the pages and felt of them as if he were blind. He picked at the shape of the individual letters, not blinking. Denims, spelled D-E-N. They toil not, neither do they. A fierce whisper of hot sand through empty sieve. Denims does it. What, is he reading a magazine? I think there's an ad playing on the subway sound system. Denims does it. Consider the lilies, the lilies, the lilies. Denims dental detergent. Shut up, shut up. It was a plea, a cry so terrible that Montag found himself on his feet. The shocked inhabitants of the loud car staring, moving back from this man with the insane, gorged face, the gibbering, dry mouth, the flapping book in his fist. The people who had been sitting a moment before, tapping their feet to the rhythm of Denim's dentrifice, Denim's dandy dental detergent. Denim's dentrifice, dentrifice, dentrifice. One, two, oh, here comes the counting. Uh, uh, uh. You know that I am called the count. Uh, one, uh, two, uh. one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. The people whose mouths had been faintly twitching the words dentrifice, dentrifice, dentifrice. The train radio vomited upon Montag in retaliation. A great ton load of music made of tin, copper, silver, chromium and brass the people were pounded into submission they did not run there was no place to run the great air train fell down its shaft in the earth lilies of the field denims lilies i said the people stared i don't know what's going on is he having an argument with himself in his head or is is it like an ad playing over the loudspeaker i think what's happening people are like, they're so happy to be part of the entertainment, part of the radio ad, ah. that they're singing along. Yeah, denims. Yeah, I see. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. He's trying to read and go deep. And meanwhile, mass media, an ad for toothpaste is blaring at him. And everyone would rather, instead of looking at a guy who is like crazy reading a banned product, you know, an outlawed product, they're more interested in singing along to the Crest toothpaste commercial. Well, yeah. And that makes sense because the whole idea of having two separate ideas butting heads with what they're saying, it's like two separate ideas. Yeah. Like. They don't, this world, whatever it is, doesn't want two separate ideas. Remember Tower of Babel yeah. and all that stuff? Yeah. So, okay, now I get it. I didn't realize it was the people on the train singing together. He's saying lilies of the field. They're saying denims. Lilies, I said. The people stared. Call the guard. The man's off. No view. The train hissed to its stop. No view, a cry. Denims, a whisper. Montag's mouth barely moved. Lilies. The train door whistled open. 
Montag stood. The door gasped, started shut. Only then did he leap past the other passengers, screaming in his mind, plunge through the slicing door only in time. He ran on the white tiles up through the tunnels, ignoring the escalators, because he wanted to feel his feet move, arms swing, lungs clench, unclench, feel his throat go raw with air. A voice drifted after him. Denims, denims, denims. The train hissed like a snake. The train vanished into its holes. End of passage. Why do you think... Boy, it's like the purpose in 500 years in this dystopian future, it seems like the purpose is to just keep these people alive so they buy effing toothpaste. Yeah. What is the point of being alive? They're not really alive. They're just kind of like there. It's time for PPP, Problematic Points to Ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? Any uh, problematic points to ponder, Jen? In that last little section? Nah. How about you? Any ideas? Let me see. Go like this to the camera. Let me see your teeth. Mm, you could use some work. I'm going to send some uh, denim zentrifus up to you. I'd like to see a brush 17 times a day. Okay. Well, that is it for this episode, everyone. Thanks for being here with us. And as always, please, if you like what you're hearing, help us spread the word, because I really think that's the only way this kind of podcast is going to grow, is by word of mouth. Yeah, so help us out. So if you know someone who would like it, go ahead and give us a share. Spread the word. That's right. We will see you guys next week on Bandcamp. Bye. Bye.